If you would please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're continuing this morning uh, in our sermon series in Romans. And if you need a Bible, please take one from the the chairs in front of you. Page 944 will get you to Romans chapter 8. We started in Romans 8 last week in verse 1. We're going to work our way to verses 2 through 4 this morning in Romans 8 that many have called the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, Of course, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's all God's Word. But here in Romans 8, many have held on to this being just one of the most beautiful and important chapters in all of the Bible because of the great doctrines that are taught in this chapter, but also the wonderful promises that we find here in Romans 8. Look at these bookend promises. If you have Romans 8 open in front of you, if you see the whole chapter, you'll see that it starts with this wonderful, amazing, blessed truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the last word of this chapter found in verse 39, Paul says, there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the wonderful, massive truths and promises that we hold on to in this great chapter. And so as we work our way through this chapter, verse by verse, uh, there's one hook, if you will, one main thing that I want you to to see and and to hold on to and to grasp, and it's this. It is in Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Any good, any hope, any joy, any blessing that we hope to experience in this life is only to be found in Christ alone. Let's study this more, shall we, this morning in Romans 8, verses, I'm going to look at, read verses 1 through 4. This is God's holy word to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study and meditation of His Word. Pray with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You for Your Word that is living and active. We pray that these words of truth would pierce our hearts this morning and that we would be changed by the love and the grace and the mercy that is in Christ alone. Help us to be renewed in Christ this day. We pray this in His holy name. Amen. Have you ever wanted to just escape everything, just get away from it all and just escape? Have you ever thought, you know, maybe if I just move to a desert island... Then all my worries, all my problems, all my struggles will go away. And have you ever 
been so disappointed with yourself and, and, and ashamed of your, of your sin that you thought, if, if, if I could just get away from everyone and everything, then I would stop sinning and, and my guilt would go away. Have you ever had that thought? Well, there was a man who tried this once, and I don't think he would recommend it. His name was Jerome. Jerome was an early church father. He's sometimes referred to as Saint Jerome. And he had this idea to go and to live in the desert as a hermit. And perhaps then he could live a holy life. But when he returned, he confessed to being driven mad as he still had bad dreams of sin and debauchery. He even took a rock and beat his chest, thinking that maybe he could drive sin out of his heart and of his mind. The testimony of St. Jerome is a valuable lesson to us that, that in our flesh, you know, by ourselves, we cannot earn our freedom from guilt we cannot drive sin out of our hearts. It's a hopeless effort. And since we cannot do it, this is the truth that we discovered this morning. It must be done for us. It must be done for us. Last week, we looked at this great and wonderful banner statement that sits at the top of Romans chapter 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means there's, there's no guilty verdict. There's no damnation for those who belong to Christ. This is the best news. This is the greatest news in the whole world, especially for those of us who struggle with sin. Another way to say this is that there's no condemnation because of our justification. Because in Christ, we have been declared not guilty. We've been declared righteous in God's sight because of what Christ alone has done. This good news keeps getting better. As today, we'll learn another truth. Not only is there not condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is, in fact, liberation. We have been liberated. We have been freed from the power of sin and death. Believers in Christ no longer have to fear the judgment of God because they have been set free from the power of sin and death by Christ's work on the cross. But set free, how? How has this happened? How has God done it? That's what we'll learn about here in this passage. And so I want us to look at three things in this passage. First, our freedom in Christ. Second, our justification in Christ. And three, our sanctification in Christ. But the banner over all of this, the, the truth that we need to come away with this morning, is that God has done what we could not do for ourselves. God has done what we could not do in and of ourselves. So first, let's look at the freedom we have in Christ. Look, look there at verse 2 again with me. Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
So since there's now no condemnation, we have this other wonderful truth that we are free in Christ. We've been set free in Christ. We now have a freedom that no one can take away from us. It's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it will never fade away. And and this freedom just goes far beyond anything we could experience in this life. We say often in this country, it's a free country. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have here. But this freedom goes far beyond any political or military freedom. It's freedom from the power of sin and death. Why is that type of freedom the best freedom and why is it so necessary? It's because, as Paul will explain here, is that sin and death function much like a law. So this word law is showing up again in our passage that we've seen show up many times here in Romans 7 and, and, and 8. And it has different meanings depending on its context. Here in verse 2, when the Apostle Paul is using the word law here, the Greek word namos, he's referring to law here as like a power or a force or a principle Something that is at work that can't be stopped. Think of it like the law of gravity. Gravity is an invisible force that we see has, has great power over lots of things, but we can't necessarily see it, right? If I were to take a ball here and throw it up in the air, I mean, it's going to come down. If I could keep it up in the air, then that would be a neat trick, but I can't do it. <laughs> If I were to tell you I'm going to take that ball now and and I'm going to go dunk it in that basketball goal, you should be very impressed. But it's just not going to happen because gravity is going to pull this middle-aged body down really fast. (laughs) Since the fall of mankind, our world, and indeed our human nature, has been marked by sin and death. Corruption has fallen upon us all, upon our whole world, and there's nothing that we can do about it. It is the law of sin and death. It cannot be undone if we just try harder. It can't be undone if we just will ourselves to it. It can't be undone by our good works nor our own righteousness. We are enslaved to this law of sin and death. But... Paul says, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's now no condemnation because you have been set free from the law of sin and death. How? How has that happened if there's nothing that we can do about it? We can't undo gravity. How can we undo the power of sin and death? Where is our hope found? And that is where a more powerful law comes into place. A law that is for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is an immovable, powerful force. It's called the law of the Spirit of life. And the law of the Spirit of life, it is in fact set you free from the law of sin and death. And so that is a fancy way of saying the law of the Spirit of life is a fancy phrase for one word. The gospel. The law of the spirit of life is the gospel. It is the good news 
that Christ has come and he has conquered sin and death. It no longer has power over those who believe. The law of the spirit of life has set us free. And it is now the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, who lives in, 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 our, in, our, in us, who believe in Christ, and it is an immovable force that works in the life of a believer and confirms that the law of sin and death no longer has authority over those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a one, another one of those truths that just keeps getting better and better and better. The gospel just keeps getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Not only have we been removed from this power of sin and death, we've also been freed from the guilt and misery of sin. God declares and He promises in Jeremiah 33.8, I will cleanse them from all their guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. What a sweet and wonderful promise. If you're here this morning and you feel weighed down by guilt and shame of your sin, then hear these words, these sweet words from the gospel. From, from the gospel. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. There's now no longer condemnation. The, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the power of sin and death. How exactly has that happened is what we'll learn here in verses 3 through 4. At least to the second wonderful thing in this passage, our justification in Christ. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. This verse is talking about that, that great Bible doctrine again, justification. Justification. It's an act of God's free grace, whereby our sins are forgiven. And God accepts us as righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. That means given to us. And the only way that you and I can be declared righteous is through Christ. You and I cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot keep the law. We cannot be good enough. And so therefore, someone has to do something for us. And this is where Jesus came, and he satisfied the righteous requirement of the law by living a life of perfect obedience. And so here we're introduced to this word law again in verse 3, but Paul means something differently in this verse than he did in verse 2. He's referring to the law differently, not using it as a principle or a force. Here he's referring to the commandments, the, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law that we've already seen in Romans that's proven to be incapable of saving us from sin and death. We can't do it. One of the purposes of the law, though, is remember it serves like a mirror. 
As we look into it, we see our sin. We see our unrighteousness. It shows us that we cannot measure up to the law's perfect demands for perfect righteousness. We can't do it. And so what does the law of God often do in our lives? It condemns us. It shows us that we've fallen short. It shows us that in our flesh, that is in our sinful nature, we cannot obey the law perfectly. We cannot earn our own righteousness. And since this is true, since we cannot save ourselves and the law cannot save us, what hope is there for us? And this is where I think the sweetest words in this passage are found in verse 3. Look at this. Look at those very first few words. For God has done. God has done. God has done it. What you and I could not do for ourselves, God did it for us. And so verse 3 provides us with another wonderful and beautiful and deep explanation of what God has done for us in the gospel. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus has done what we could not do for ourselves. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, was born of a woman, born under the law. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was without sin. He knew no sin. But he became sin for us. He took on our sin, and therefore he put an end to the power of sin and death by his death. His once and for all sacrifice on the cross. You know what this is talking about, right? Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> the incarnation. The Christmas music may or may not have started at our house. You know, it got below 80 degrees. We're like, hey, it must be snowing outside, you know? <laughs> this is the good news of the incarnation. God in the flesh coming to do what we could not do. This is why we make such a big deal. I love the way Douglas Moo, the, the, the scholar Douglas Moo, said it this way. Christ became what we are so that we might become what Christ is. Christ became what we are, so that we might become what Christ is. So this is one of these really important truths that we need to grasp this morning. It is that it's not something you do to earn salvation from your sin. It is what God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and dying for us. This is amazing grace. What God has done for us in Christ. At this point, some of you may rejoice and are glad and glory in your justification. But the, the power of sin in your life still feels very real to you. You probably sometimes still feel like Paul was describing in Romans chapter 7. You still struggle with sin. The struggle is still very real. Do you ever feel this way? Do you feel like sin sometimes can get the, 
the upper hand in your life and, and, and victory just doesn't seem possible. Yes, we are delivered from the power of sin and death, but sin still remains in the believer. But here's the truth that we need to hold on to. Though it still remains, though it's still there, sin has no authority over those who are in Christ. Its power has been defeated. It does not have power over us because the law of the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, is given to those who are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God is at work in those who, who belong to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helps us to live to please God and to die to sin, to, to put it away, to, to hate it, and to be disgusted with it. And that leads to the third truth that Paul is speaking of here, our sanctification in Christ. Verse 4, our sanctification in Christ. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so we see here in verse 4, we clearly read that the law has a righteous requirement. What is that righteous requirement? Perfect obedience. Do this and live. But if you're not convinced already, come back on Wednesday nights. <laughs> we'll talk about total depravity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is perfect. But praise God that the righteous requirement of the law, that perfect obedience, has been fulfilled in Christ for us. And so God not only fulfills the law's demands in Christ for the believer, but now we are promised that the Holy Spirit now lives in us and enables us and helps us to obey the law of God. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to, to hate sin, to die to sin, to put sin away, and to live more and more for righteousness. And so Paul will lead us into an, uh, this, what this life of sanctification looks like. He says there's, there's really two ways to live, he says. You either walk in the flesh or you walk in the Spirit. To walk in the flesh, he's not talking about the skin on our, our bones. He's talking about our human nature. That's the Bible's way of describing our, our sinful nature, to walk in the flesh. And to walk in the flesh means to follow the world and its desires. To walk in the flesh means to live your life in contrary to the revealed weir of God. To walk in the flesh means you are only living for yourself. It's all about you in your own satisfaction, and God has nothing to do with it. That's walking in the flesh. But those who are in Christ have another way to live, a better way to live. Paul describes it as walking in the Spirit. Our walk is our Christian life. We're called to walk in the Spirit. So you'll probably see there in verse 4 that Spirit's probably capitalized in your Bibles because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, not our spirit or our soul, the Holy Spirit. That's how we live. We are able to live for God under His rules and His values and His control because of the promise of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And so a way that you and I can experience this true freedom in Christ in a daily and practical way, especially when that guilt seems to be weighing us down, is by following and walking in the Spirit. To live a life to please God by walking in the ways of the Spirit. How do you do this? That just sounds like church talk. Walk in the Spirit. You know, does that mean I have to like, you know, sing all the time? You know? Do I have to wear special clothes? No. To walk in the Spirit means to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these good things that God has called His people to pursue. We pursue the, spirit, the, the life in the Spirit by the means of grace that God has given to us. By the Word of God saturating your life through prayer, communion with God, and through fellowship and worship with other believers, we walk in the Spirit together. The Holy Spirit uses all these things to magnify the grace of God in our lives and to help us walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. This is an everyday thing that we're going to look at more and more here in this passage as we learn what it means to walk in, in the Spirit. So we'll look in depth at that very specifically in the next few weeks. But today, please see this truth. This wonderful truth that we have here in God's Word. The gospel offers you freedom from sin and death, for God has done what the law and what we, what no one else could do. He sent His own Son in the flesh to live a life of perfect obedience, to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law for us, and to die perfect death and yet this is one more way that we have wonderful assurance in the gospel assurance of God's love not because maybe we're having a good day or maybe because our good days outweighed our bad days this week no we have assurance because of what God has done in Christ May God help you, may God help us to walk in the Spirit and in this freedom that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you and we thank you for the freedom that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We would be utterly condemned if you did not send your Son to become a man fulfill the law's demands for us. We praise you for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Lord, help us to walk away from here this morning more amazed at your grace, more amazed at what you have done. Help us walk in the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.